Welcome everyone. This is Health or Consequences, Commonwealth Magazine's monthly podcast on hot topics and interesting people in Massachusetts healthcare and healthcare policy. I'm John McDonough from the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, joined by my colleague Paul Haddis from the Tufts University School of Medicine. Today we're delighted to have as our guest Manny Lopes, who is the president and CEO of the East Boston Neighborhood Health Center. He's also growing in importance and stature in the community. He's the chair of a relatively new organization called the Commonwealth Care Cooperative that we'll hear more about. And he's also the newly appointed chair of the Boston Public Health Commission as well. So welcome, Manny. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, John. Great to be here. Could you, I know you're, you're a lifelong Bostonian and a lifelong East Boston <laughs> person. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your story? Sure. So I was born and raised in East Boston. Uh, I spent uh, the majority of my career at East Boston Neighborhood Health Center. Um, I was there for 11 years, right out of high school, first year of college. Left for about six or seven years, joined the for-profit sector, um, did a variety of business consulting, and then came back 15 years ago and became president and CEO about seven years ago. Great. Paul? So, Manny, let's, let's start with that role. So seven years as the uh, president of East Boston Neighborhood Health Center. What would you say over that time, including up to now, have been the particular accomplishments as well as the challenges for you and the health center? I think for us at East Boston, um, one of the major accomplishments is our ability to continue to meet the demand uh, within the communities that we serve. Um, we've grown over the last five years um, over 30 percent. Um, and that's really due to the demand um, and the need for primary care services within our service area that includes East Boston, Chelsea, Revere, and Winthrop. Um, we've, al we, we've also been successful at developing a, an environment where people um, hopefully are enjoying the work that they're doing, um, really connecting our staff to the mission, which is to provide easily accessible, high-quality health care uh, to anyone who walks through our doors, regardless of where they come from, what language they speak, or their ability to pay. As, as you've grown over those years, has the payer mix of the patients been about the same, or has that evolved over, over time? Um, I think it has evolved over time, and it's evolved um, because of health care reform, um, both in Massachusetts as well as uh, the country. So we've seen shifts into Medicaid, um, so we serve a large mass health population, but we've also seen an increase in our commercial payers, um, so your Blue Cross, your Tufts. Um, so we've seen people um, who are now have access to coverage. And if I said to you, name a challenge for the health center uh, specifically, or even some of your other health center colleagues these days, what, what would you name uh, as, as, an, as a, up there on the list? Probably top of the list is uh, going back to meeting the needs of the community. Uh, and in one area is uh, behavioral health care, um, whether it's uh, substance use um, that we're trying to address or it's um, mental health care. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to integrate that into primary care is one of our challenges today. Um, as we know, this considerable amount of demand in that area and trying to make sure people feel comfortable um, getting those services in a primary care setting um, is important. So Manny, you're in the middle of an enormous change in the MassHealth or Massachusetts Medicaid program that about a year ago shifted about 830,000 MassHealth enrollees into 17 so-called MassHealth Accountable Care Organizations. Just a gigantic shift, the biggest one in perhaps a generation or so. And you have a special role in that because you're the chair of the board of one of these 17 ACOs. Could you describe briefly this ACO experiment and how you understand it, what it means to you, and then weigh in a little bit on the special role played by the ACO that you serve as chairman of the board that's called C3 or the Commonwealth Care Cooperative? Yes. So um, the program itself developed by um, MassHealth um, to try to control the cost as well as improve the quality of care for its members. And the state um, agreed with the federal government to develop a new innovative approach to delivering care providing greater value or what we what we continue to hear around value-based care and um, about a year and a half ago the state um, uh, sent out an RFP for organizations that are interested in becoming accountable care organizations or as the state calls us health plans with a focus on value-based increasing the quality of care, providing greater services to MassHealth members, but also um, partnering with the state to bring down the cost of that care. And this is a big experiment, and there's a lot at stake. And not only are you supposed to improve the quality and the continuity of care, but you're also supposed to bring down costs. Any sense one year into this? Are costs being brought down? And how is this experiment going both broadly and um, from your own perspective as the chair of C3? I think uh, we're still waiting for the data, um, and we're still early in this process. As you know, um, this is a journey, and it could take um, many years before we see the results. I think, but what we've seen thus far, anecdotally or um, in special cases, our patients are are getting more and more services such as um, follow-up hospital care, which will hopefully bring down the readmissions. Um, You know, we also know that patients who have complex needs um, are able to access more resources like community health workers um, and can help them with things from um, housing, food, um, and other um, social determinants of health that we know um, improve the health care mm-hmm. and the health lives. And so this is an enormous change inside East Boston, a lot of work, a lot of, is it, is it worth it? Are you really seeing things that say, yeah, this is the right approach, this is the right way to do it? It's absolutely worth it. I think it's, um, in fact, it's a lot of the work that we've been doing um, for many, many years. In some cases, it goes back uh, 50 years ago in terms of how health centers, when health centers were created, and we always knew um, it was beyond the medical care. Mm -hmm. Um, There were um, 
you know, we know that food, housing, and other um, components help improve the overall health of our population. So from many respects, this is what we've been set up to do, and now we have greater resources to do that work. Mm -hmm. And this group that you're the chair of, C3, what, what the heck is that? <laughs> so this is, uh, this is our understanding. This is the first in the country. Um, federally all federally qualified health centers, 17 health centers from across the state, um, from the North Shore to the South Shore, Boston, uh, Worcester, Central Mass, um, all the way to Western Mass. Um, so we have 17 members um, who decided to come together as a network, as a system, um, and to contract directly with Mass Health and, um, and develop, again, programs and services, work collectively to bring down the cost of care and to improve the quality of care. And normally when these things happen, the community health centers are kind of the sidekick of the hospital, is this a challenge to the hospital sector in Massachusetts in some way? It's a little bit. Uh, today what we know is that um, many of the independent, what used to be independent practices are now either owned or strongly affiliated with hospitals or healthcare systems. And what we're trying to do is break away from that, retain our independence, put a focus on primary care and community health care um, and try a different approach again to improving the quality. So, it's, uh, a, so it's a gamble for the state. It's a gamble for mass health. It's a gamble for these 17 community health centers and it's a gamble for East Boston. It is. Uh, is but it paying off? Not sure yet. Uh -huh. Again, it'll take, some, it'll take some time, but we believe that it's paying off in terms of actual dollars, when I say we're not sure yet, to in actual dollars, in terms of value to our patients, I think we are seeing a payoff. So, Manny, you've, you've talked a little bit about the, the uh, gamble and risks that health centers uh, have to take in order to try to do their mission and, and, and meet needs. Uh, government plays a role in that, all levels of government, federal, state, and a uh, number of different issues uh, intersect there. Anything you're hoping happens uh, out of the legislature or the regulatory process uh, federally or statewide to make you maybe able to do your job more effectively? I think there are many things we're excited about. Um, we're excited about um, the housing bills that have been put forth. Um, as I mentioned before, housing plays an important role um, in improving the lives um, of the people that we serve. And we're excited about that. We continue to hear, particularly in the Boston areas, the challenges related to finding affordable housing. Mm -hmm. um, so that has us really um, excited. I think uh, the work that the AG's doing, as well as um, the administration, um, the governor and the administration, of course, around um, substance use and the opioids, I think we have to continue to pay close attention um, to the problems in that area. Um, and then the governor also mentioned um, parity as it relates to behavioral and mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and we're watching uh, to see what proposals. Is about the coverage yet a reimbursement issue, likely? Or? 
Yes, yeah. yeah, there are reimbursement issues there, there are coverage issues there, and then, quite frankly, there are access issues there. Okay. Um, once again, we know there's greater uh, demand than there is um, capacity, and we have to try to come up with some creative ways to increase that capacity and get people the care that they need. Now, another role that you've taken on in this past year as chairman of the Boston Public Health Commission, and... Uh, I know you've been doing that job for about six to eight months now. Any specific hopes or priority issues uh, that you'd like to see the commission do at this point? You know, taking the mayor's cue in terms of his focus, um, particularly for the next uh, two to three years, um, we will continue to focus on um, the opioid crisis and trying to continue to develop programs and services um, that will help uh, individuals as well as families. Um, we will continue to um, play a facilitator role as it relates to neighborhood trauma. Um, as you may have read in a recent Globe article, the mayor has um, expanded that program. We've been running the program at East Boston Neighborhood Health Center now for a couple of years, um, and it's truly helped family, families and victims um, recover from trauma. Um, and then finally, I would say the role of the commission, um, at least the future role that we're hoping for, is really to be a convener and to bring all of the rich resources that we have here in the city, healthcare resources, as well as community-based resources that we have here in this city, and bring them together um, and try to align them around one or two specific issues that the mayor has identified as a priority, like he's done with the opioid, and, and try to really get us focused so we could try to move that dial. One of those areas is health equity, mm -hmm. and to try to close that gap that has been re really tough to close, um, but see how can we do this as a city. What are the most important things we need to do to close the health equity gap? I mean, what would really make a difference? People have been talking about this for decades and decades and decades. Do we know more now, and do we know what needs to be done that would really turn the dial on this? I think there's a lot of education that we need. Um, of course, data plays a key role in that um, in understanding not only um, zip codes, but also street address and um, and and really speak to the, speak to the community. Ask the community that question is, um, you know, things like hypertension and diabetes, where there are clearly medications and treatment programs that are effective, um, and why aren't people accessing those treatments? Um, is it a cost issue, affordability issue? Is it an access issue? Is it an education? Um, so I think those are the areas that we need to drill down into, and I think data has a role in that. Um, getting input from the community and our patients, of course, has a role in that, and then bringing more of the experts to the table, um, and then, of course, aligning all of the resources to say we're ready to tackle this one particular issue before we move on to the next. Mm -hmm. So you're a growing figure on the Boston health and public health scene. You mean I'm getting taller? You're getting taller and wider. <laughs> you're getting, you're, Hopefully not wider. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> wiser for sure. Wiser too. Wiser. I'll take wiser. Um, you, are, you are a leader of color in this city. There was a Boston Globe piece about the lack of diversity 20 years later, just a year or two ago, 
that showed that uh, Boston had not really moved very far in terms of increasing the diversity at the higher level. What's been your experience in terms of, in terms of interacting with the system and, uh, and, and what steps do you think could be taken or should be taken to try to move, again, move the needle on this and do a much better job? And just what's it like being a leader of color in a significant institution and in these important roles in the city of Boston today in 2019? Yeah. Um, Too many questions. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, definitely feel blessed and humbled with all the opportunities um, that I have. Um, I think it 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 is a challenge. It is a challenge every day. Um, you walk into many settings, and you are the only one. Um, in in many cases, uh, you know you you carry this. Um, this challenge on your shoulder of wanting to be able to perform at the highest level uh, because you know that in, whether it's there or not there, that there are uh, individuals that may be doubting your capabilities. Um, you also realize that, um, that you have a great opportunity to, um, to bring on the next generation of leaders and to be an individual of influence and try to um, help that next person of color um, access uh, the opportunities that I've been able to access. Um, so I think there's still a lot that we need to do in this city and in this state. I think there's a role for all of us to play. I know in terms of my role, um, whether it's mentoring, officially or unofficially, building that pipeline internally or externally, um, so within our organization um, or outside of our organization, I think this is, this is truly a community effort. And I appreciate the Globe for what they did um, in terms of bringing this to light. Um, but I think uh, w we can't forget about the challenges we are, you know, I, two years later, and I think we have to continue the conversation. Do you, ever, um, do you ever walk into a room, you've just done it so many times, and you're the only non-white person in the room, and do you just forget about it, or is it always just hit you in the face? What's the experience like? No, it's always there, unfortunately. Um, you know, when you walk into many rooms um, here in Boston, um, you are the only person, and, and, it's, and it's just something you accept and you live with, uh, and... And at the same time, you, you identify this as an issue that we have to continue to work on. And quite frankly, the way we can get through this is having these open dialogues and having these discussions and becoming more intentional. You know, when you, when you uh, mention the, the mentoring and you have uh, either students or young adults or even people younger in their career of color coming to you for advice, what do you say to them? The message I usually give to them is have a plan. Think about what you are trying to achieve, or let me help you um, walk through what a plan could look like, and then let's talk about how we execute on that plan. So it's similar to any uh, business that mm -hmm. you would be running. It's the business of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then my role, I believe, is to help them feel 
completely secure because when you are the when you walk into that room and you are the only person of color in that room, the first thing that hits you is a great sense of insecurity. Um, so building confidence that you can do the job, that you do belong, is one of the first things. Um, and Including then, here in Boston and Massachusetts, where there are so few people in the room of color often. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, then, and then really talking about um, what it takes to, in some cases, you know, I know we talk about the glass ceiling or kicking down the door. Um, in many cases, you really have to... Um, be aggressive in a, in a professional way, naturally, but you really need to set your goals and try to figure out how you get there. And, and then also surround yourself by the people who can also help you get there, mentors, coaches, because, again, we know we can't do this alone, um, and it involves a team, a family, other individuals in your life, in your life to try to help you get to that end state. So you know you you started as a leader in East Boston, then a leader in the city, and now really a leader in the state. And then you also though travel in a lot of circles nationally as well through the National Association of Community Health Centers and other sessions. What do you notice when you go around the country and connect with people from other cities, other states, in term and, and how does it make you view Massachusetts in comparison with your travels around the healthcare community around the country? Around race and ethnicity in particular or in general? And health policy in general. And health policy. Both of those. Both of those. Um, In terms of race, I, you know, you see cities who are doing much better than us, but then you see cities who are struggling with the same challenges in terms of developing leaders of color, uh, individuals that look like the people that we're serving. Um, So, I have been taking a um, leadership role, if you would, in that area. Um, myself and a friend from California, David, um, we launched a new group called Conversation and Leadership Diversity, um, where we've brought people of color together. Um, we will have our fourth one in D.C. Um, later this month to create a safe space so, people, so we can have these conversations and connect people with mentors coaches and people who can help each other. Um, so that's as it relates to race and ethnicity. As it relates to healthcare policy, um, you know, we are truly in Massachusetts at, you know, at the leading edge, as we've heard. We've been early adopters, whether it was uh, universal healthcare um, to now um, value-based care, particularly with the Medicaid program, and other initiatives to um, try to find solutions and making sure that healthcare truly is a right, not a privilege, as we hear over and over. And we should feel really good about what Massachusetts has accomplished in the last 15 years. Do you ever feel guilty about how much Massachusetts has to offer versus, say, you talk to people in other states that are much poorer, Arkansas, Mississippi, states that just don't have the resources that we have to apply to problems. Does that hit you very often? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think um, when, I, when I look at what we've accomplished here I, and I say, wow, how fortunate we are um, to live in a state where um, we truly believe healthcare is a right um, and we had the resources to do what we've done thus far. But um, and other 
places, whether it's political will or, um, or financial uh, capacity, um, are not able to accomplish what we've accomplished here. Mm -hmm. My hope is that as we continue to lead this effort, um, other states or other regions will continue to look at Massachusetts for some possible answers and some possible solutions. And yet, as much as we pat ourselves on the back compared to Mississippi and Alabama and wherever, when we really look at the needs in terms of disadvantaged communities here, uh, we've got lots and lots of problems here in our own backyard that we really need to still address. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why the work, um, you know, I'm hoping I'll see it in my lifetime where uh, not only coverage but access and uh, equal health care will be delivered in the way we would want for, our, for ourselves, our children, our parents, um, and regardless of um, age, culture, language, um, that everyone receives uh, the same level of care. But absolutely, we do have uh, still challenges here in Massachusetts. Well, Manny Lopes, we uh, appreciate all that you've been doing and all the roles that we talked about, and, and also very much uh, our listeners today in the podcast will get a chance to, to learn have learned a little bit more about you. So we thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me here. And uh, our next podcast, we're uh, excited to say that we're going to be joined by the two co-chairs of the legislature's Joint Healthcare Financing Committee, Representative Benson and Senator Friedman, and uh, we look forward to uh, having discussion with them about uh, where legislative things are and potentially going uh, next month. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thank you.